0: If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is, there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's episode, I'm talking to Camilla. Camilla has a gorgeous three-year-old son called Edward, and she lives in Victoria. So welcome to the podcast night, Camilla. I would love to start with understanding your story and what you went through to decide to become a solo mum by choice.
1: Yeah, so I guess like a lot of us, I dated on and off in my 20s and 30s um, in between traveling and living overseas and then coming back and doing a second degree Um, and all of a sudden I'm 37 so (laughs) uh, with my mum's encouragement actually um, I decided to freeze my Mm eggs, went ahead and did that um, and I had six and i was still hoping to meet someone but i wanted a bit of an insurance policy yeah um so only about um a year or so after that i'd been dating someone just for a short period and i was um about to end the relationship because there were lots and lots of red flags around the controlling nature so mm. uh, by taking all precautions um i discovered that I was pregnant so I had a, a bit of an emotional time deciding um, what to do and going through counselling um, and ultimately I decided not to go ahead but obviously my biological clock was still ticking um, and that didn't really leave me a lot of time to sort of recover and get over that. I'm guessing um, that would have been a pretty a
0: pretty hard mental battle to even make that decision and process all of that knowing that one side of you really wants to be a mum and then the other side is But do I want to be a mum with someone who I know is not good for me? Yeah.
1: Yeah, especially when, you know, you're at a certain age and you really want children and you don't know if it's going to be your only opportunity. Mm. So it's really hard. Um, But I started the IVF journey um, the following year Mm -hmm. Um, because, yeah, it gets to the point where you're dating and you're looking at everyone as if they're a potential (laughs) father for your children. It's just too much pressure. Did you find that
0: you had rose-tinted glasses on all of them as well? <laughs> it's like, are you my future baby daddy and, you know, am I going to just let slide all of those things that I wouldn't normally?
1: Uh, yeah, you do a bit. You do a bit and you sort of think, okay, you know, do they want a family? Do they want a family tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so much pressure to put on any potential relationship, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So I just thought, you know, it was best to sort of do the reverse, have the baby first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I still sort of thought deeply about, you know, whether it was the right thing to do, sort of mm-hmm. about the ethics of, you know, bringing a child into the world via IVF. Um, so I did a lot of reading and a lot of sort of journal articles. Um, but, yeah, knew that, that I wanted to have a baby. So I actually went back to the same clinic where I froze my eggs. Mm-hmm. And there'd actually been a lot of really positive improvements there since I'd done the egg freezing process, um, just with streamlining their processes, um, having unlimited counselling and like a, a patient liaison officer to sort of walk you through the whole um, process. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a lot it was a lot better the second time around, um, easier to navigate the system.
0: And did they suggest that you just did a round of IVF or did you look at using your frozen eggs as an option or...?
1: Well, it was actually the specialist, the fertility specialist that said to me, um, you know, if you're considering having siblings for them, then you might want to do a fresh round mm-hmm. just to have the frozen eggs in reserve. So, yeah, so I just went with that. Um, and then because of my age, I was just about to turn 40, um, I was classed medically infertile, so I got the, the Medicare rebate. Um, so did all the normal sort of blood tests and everything. Um But then I was also advised to have um, an HSG exam, which checks the patency of your fallopian tubes, Mm -hmm. Um, which I I don't know if I'm an outlier, but I found that particularly uncomfortable. It was, yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah, not not a pleasant experience. Um, uh, And then the specialist also advised me to do ICSI, um, which is the intracytoplasmic sperm injection where they introduced a single sperm to the egg so I guess the chances of success were you know a lot higher they were doing everything possible to make it successful for you yeah Yeah. yep throwing everything at it um and then yeah the donor choosing process is another sort of surreal (laughs) (laughs) process in itself um Because I went with ICSI, you have a different selection to doing normal IVF. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's probably about 10 to 15, I think, um, to choose from. Yeah. And I ruled some of them out just based on ethnicity because I didn't want to make anything more complicated for my future child than it was already going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just conferred with some... um, close colleagues and a close friend and went through my top picks and narrowed it down to two but I still wasn't sure I was sort of wavering between two of them yeah um, and one of them was snapped up while I was <laughs> making that decision because oh, no. um, <laughs> I wanted to speak to the geneticist about some of their medical history um so that sort of made the decision for me and then I checked back in the portal one day and there was a new donor there and I read his profile and it all clicked.
0: Yeah.
1: So yeah, I, I chose him as my donor that day. And yeah, so as I said, I did, um, a fresh cycle and again, I got six eggs <laughs> must be my lucky number. <laughs> it's just <your> number. Yeah. <laughs> um, three fertilized, um, Two made it and one of those was considered grade a so to speak um and so that's the one that they transferred and the other one is still um on ice um and I decided not to do a home pregnancy test um I just decided to wait for that call (laughs) oh the strength of that (laughs) yeah maybe I just didn't want to you know disappoint myself um but I had I had a gut feeling that it had worked. Um, yeah. yeah, getting all the all the signs, um, and I was actually at a, a family reunion when I when I got the call. So I think I felt equally excited and terrified. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did most of your family know what you were going through, or did you keep it sort of a secret until later on?
1: No, my my parents obviously did. My mum was really encouraging. She really wanted grandchildren but she it was nothing nothing she ever pushed me into yeah. but I didn't tell my brother and his wife because I, I just didn't want that added pressure of you know mm. how's it going um yeah so I just kept it to my parents really and, and so did you kind of pull your mum aside at that point
0: and go oh my god it worked, or I?" Think was she was the
1: same room with me so <laughs> yeah and so then immediately she was like Telling my dad to carry my suitcases
0: and things. Oh. You milk it for as long as possible. So you had been like four weeks. Yeah, do all my bidding from now on. Thanks, Dad.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I think um, I'm very lucky that, you know, that it worked for me the first time. So, yeah.
0: And so, how did you find pregnancy?
1: Wonderful that you're successful so easily, but how was the pregnancy? Was that good? Yeah, well, the the pregnancy itself was pretty straightforward. I went public, um, and they put me in the high risk stream just because of my age and because I was IVF. So I saw the same two obstetricians all the way through, which was really nice. Um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't straightforward um, at like the week eight point. Okay. Um, so I had um, a really big bleed, and it was on a Saturday on a weekend and um, I was absolutely convinced that I'd miscarried, like absolutely convinced that I'd, I'd lost the baby. Um, so I panicked, <laughs> didn't really you know, have the presence of mind, you know, to figure out what to do, but luckily um, I was with a friend and she suggested that I ring the clinic. I hadn't even thought that I could ring the clinic on a weekend. Um they obviously had like an after-hours service, and I got hold of a specialist. Um, and I'd been taking um, progesterone suppositories mm-hmm. up until I think actually the day before I had the bleed. So he told me to go straight back on them and booked me in for a scan in his office the following Monday. Yeah, I had the scan. Everything was okay. Um, yeah, and I yeah, I was. I was like convinced that that was it. But um, it so it gave me a huge fright, but also made me realize, I guess, like how much I wanted the baby. Um, and then because I don't like to do things the easy way, uh, I moved house <laughs> when, when I was pregnant. So for, I suppose, a good chunk of the pregnancy, I was um, going off to inspections and looking for somewhere to be closer to my parents um so i found somewhere when i was about 30 weeks and moved house at 33 weeks Um, definitely wouldn't recommend it my dad was overseas in england at the time visiting family yeah um and he had my due date in mind so you know he was like oh you know got plenty of time and you know obviously you know had totally forgotten that i was born 10 weeks early um but anyway um i just asked everybody i knew i don't like asking for help but i asked everybody i knew to help me pack and help me move and help me clean um but it was yeah it was pretty exhausting and it's hard not to lift things when you're pregnant but you're moving house Yes, so moved in in the nick of time. Um, so, yeah, that that made the pregnancy a little bit more eventful as well. So I didn't get um, the baby's room set up until, yeah, what sort of felt like the last minute. From about 32 weeks to 37 weeks, my baby was breech. So I did everything from, like, visualisation to talking to it to Chinese medicine, everything to try and get it to turn. No. 37 weeks, I went into hospital and they did, um, I think it's an ECV, a procedure to to manually turn the baby. And thankfully that worked because um, I was hoping to avoid a C-section. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so he coupled around. Well, I didn't know what I was having at that stage, but, yeah, turned around to the, to the right position. Um, yeah, so then I was all set and given that you were
0: older and ibf did they allow you to go full term and go into labor naturally or were you induced
1: um no no nobody ever mentioned that actually um oh, wow. so i was 39 and four days i think mm-hmm. um I, I wish i'd known that you know that was going to be the last full night's sleep that i was ever going to get <laughs> um, because it all, it all happened with a bang. Um, so I, I just got some cramps one night and I really wasn't even sure that it was contractions and I was Googling signs of early labour. Yeah. Um, and that was about midnight and then at 12.40 my waters broke. Um, I rang the hospital and rang my parents and the midwife said, oh, just take your time, have a shower, you know, come in when you're ready. Um, my parents arrived at 1.30 and I was trying to time the contractions like with an app on my phone but I could barely walk by and so we got to hospital just before 2 a.m um and I think someone grabbed a wheelchair for me and um went up in the lift got into the examination room um I was yelling at my um at my parents to call the doula because I had a doula I was like call the doula mm-hmm. call the doula <laughs> um, and then I heard the midwife say, there's no time to examine her. She's having the baby. <laughs> did, and quick, then I was, did you drill her arrive or was it that quick? It... No, no. Oh, wow. Um, no. So it was, yeah, probably only a few minutes after I after I arrived that I was needing to push. And they were saying, no, 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 hold off, hold off, because they were trying to pull my clothes off. And I had these. Oh, my gosh, that quick. Wow. <laughs> I to get my Ugg boots off. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, they said, next time, don't wear our boots. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was, there was just no time. Um, There's no time for gas or pain relief or anything. It was just straight, straight into pushing. Um, and, yeah, so my son was born at 3 a.m. So. So 12 o'clock you felt your first contractions, 3 a.m. He was there. Wow, that's speedy. Uh, yep. Yeah. So the, the way that they had timed it was it was a two-hour labour um so anything i think less than five hours is uh, like a, a quick a precipitous labour yeah I don't recommend it um a tour and i needed episiotomy and <laughs> hemorrhage and <laughs> i was going to say that that come with some complications being that quick so yeah okay and i and i you know they say to do a birth plan and throw it out the window and that's Definitely true because I didn't even unpack my bag. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it sounds like you were even lucky to get into the room, so.
1: Yes, yeah, and, yeah, there's sort of bits of it that I really didn't remember. It was just, yeah, very, very quick. Um, yeah, and that's when I found out that I had a little boy. Oh, wow. Did you have an, an inkling beforehand? Did you think that you were having a boy or? I did because I found it easier to narrow down the list of boys' names. And okay, I just sort of had a bit of a feeling, yeah. and so did you have to stay in hospital
0: a few, a little while then, with the episiotomy and?
1: Um, not, not because of that. Um, I, I actually, they kept me in an extra night um, because um, well, I had quite a few complications post-birth. They didn't quite start then, but like my body had obviously decided that I needed to make enough milk for triplets, so oh. I was. I was engorged by, you know, day one sort of thing. So they, they kept me in an extra night because of that. Um, and then I went and stayed with my parents and I sort of naively thought it would just be a couple of weeks, mm. but I ended up seven weeks because um, okay. I think everything that went wrong went wrong. <laughs> 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 um, not to put anyone off, but um, breastfeeding was was really, really challenging and really painful, um, and it seemed to cause my baby a lot of distress as well. Okay. Um, no one warned me about this, but I had six weeks of night sweats I, oh. I guess it's from like a drop in hormones um, and I, I had really, really bad hip pain and couldn't walk and I, and I later found out that was just from the quick labor yeah um, and then at the two week um, check up with the maternal child health nurse post-birth I was feeling really hot and thinking oh you know they've got they're heating up really high and later that night I developed um, really high temperatures and rigors and I assumed it was mastitis and so did my mum and so I went to the GP and she suspected um, septicemia and said go straight to ED <laughs> leave oh, wow. the baby and go straight to emergency um, so, you know, after, you know, a lengthy wait, I was admitted and put on IB antibiotics and um, had misoprostol, which basically makes your uterus contract. Because yeah. so I think they were affecting retained products, but they weren't sure. Um, and that, yeah, that made the fevers worse. Um, and I had to learn how to use a borrowed breast pump sitting in emergency because I was uh, wanting to, you know, keep the... The breastfeeding up um i was home a few days later on oral antibiotics um and then as soon as i finished them the fevers came back and same thing back to ed <laughs> left the baby with my parents <laughs> pumping round the clock again <laughs> and yeah they did an ultrasound and yeah eventually decided it was, yeah, just a very, very small amount of placenta that had been retained. So more antibiotics and, yeah, back home. <laughs> Did they do a DNC or anything like
0: that to remove that small amount of retained product or were you just had Thank- to wait for it no. to pass?
1: Yeah, thankfully, no. They felt, yeah, they felt that, um, I guess, with the misoprostol, um, that, that it, it yeah, so, thankfully it didn't have to have to go down that route. Um, but, yeah, that was all in the first month and then back home um, my baby was just really unsettled and wasn't one of those babies that slept. Um, and so we did the rounds of paediatricians and lactation consultants because people were sort of querying reflux and tongue tie and he was found to have reflux. Um, so I had to keep him upright for 40 minutes post feeds and elevate the change mat and avoid tummy time. Um, and I was getting down to about three hours of sleep a night. So I was pretty, pretty exhausted and um, pretty much crashed and yeah, needed a lot of sort of support mental health wise after that. And eventually got into one of the public sleep schools and yep. had some support with um, settling and breastfeeding. Um, and later on found a, a really good um, dietitian, lactation consultant um, at a local clinic who helped him with the feeding.
0: Um, was there any cause for the feeding issues or it was...?
1: Well, it actually wasn't until a couple of months ago, so my son's almost three, and it was just a couple of months ago that... Um, An experienced speech pathologist we'd been seeing um from the same hospital (laughs) Mm -hmm. that he he does have tongue tie and if it had been picked up by the right people at the hospital i.e herself and the um, pediatric plastic surgeon that they would have revised it but because it was the pediatric surgical team um they decided not to do anything so oh how frustrating for you like if it It was something
0: that I mean, it sounds simple, but it's obviously not the procedure and everything else. But to know now what the potential problem was, mm, it must be frustrating.
1: (laughs) We went on a bit of a journey with um, speech pathology because he just struggled with sort of solids, and yeah, so we had a bit of help um, with the chewing and and with talking Mm because bit late with the talking but now he's super advanced and <laughs> doesn't shut up <laughs> uh-uh. maybe
0: I want to go back to that stage now
1: <laughs> and we just need a bit of help to get him um crawling and walking as well so we had some physio um, yeah but I, I have a a very uh, energetic gorgeous little boy so um we're still still working on the sleep side of things but
0: <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> um Yeah.
0: So you stayed with your parents for the first seven weeks. How did you find it when it was just the two of you after you moved out from them?
1: I was, uh, so I guess I was a little bit nervous. Um, I actually got um, an overnight nanny for the first night just to have someone on hand. Um, And, but actually uh, I I think once I was back in my own home with, my own things and my own routine. <laughs> um, it was probably a lot easier in some ways, because um, um, my mum, uh, bless her, she's um, a retired midwife, so that can be a blessing. Mm. Yeah, you can imagine that. <laughs> but you know, I've I've needed a lot of support from my parents. You know, as probably a lot of women do when they go it alone. So you know, I'm obviously very thankful to have their support. Um, but yeah, it was it was good to be back in my own home and have everything set up just the way I wanted it.
0: So if you would look back now on your journey, do you think there's anything that you
1: would do differently? Um, well, I, I guess you just really don't know what your baby's going to be like, what their temperament is going to be like until yeah. they come along. So I was maybe a little bit overly confident or maybe a little bit naive because um, I'm a registered nurse I had worked at a children's hospital I'd worked in an emergency department I had worked as a nanny looking after a newborn when I was quite young um, so I thought, yeah you know I, I know what it's like to it's got it. yeah, yeah. Um, but when it's your own and it's your own body going through it, and you're trying to breastfeed and you're not getting any sleep it's completely different <laughs> so i would um and again you know i suppose my story is sort of unique in terms of you know everything not going quite according to plan but i would still recommend just finding out what supports you've got around you you know in terms of a really good gp and maybe an obstetrician and checking out you know whether public and private sleep schools are in your area and what other services there are Um, I came across um, a fantastic clinic where you know they've got everything from psychology to lactation consultants um, dietitians so sometimes you need those sort of supports Um, there's also again depending where you live um, some really good organizations that offer um, you know, volunteer mums that can come and drop in and give you emotional support. Because um, yeah, obviously it can, it can be quite isolating. You know, you have suddenly had um, you know something that's come along and um, you're looking after 24 seven, and all your independence is gone. So um, I recommend having as you know as many visitors as you as you feel you need, and just being really honest with your friends and family as well around when you need help and support before you kind of fall into a heap. Yeah. Um, it can be yeah. very
0: hard for us to, strong independent types to realise what that point is though, isn't it? And it's not kind of we fall in the heap and then it's like, oh, yeah, probably should have done something about that.
1: <laughs> and just, yeah, making yourself vulnerable, that that can, that can be hard in terms of reaching out. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I mean, we've also been in touch with our donor and had a really positive experience with that. Um, oh, already? Yeah, it was, I think, the pandemic that really prompted me mm-hmm. to do it. Um, you know, just that sense that anything can happen and I just didn't want it to remain a mystery for too long. Okay. Um, so how did you go about making contact? Um, so, well, I, I checked the voluntary register and the central register here in um, Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, they went on there. So I got in touch with um, VARTA, um, which is the authority here in Victoria that, that regulates um, assistive reproductive um, technology. Mm-hmm. Um, got fantastic counsellors there and um, they got in touch. He was really open to contact and they facilitated that for us. Um, we did it anonymously. So um we just set up anonymous email addresses and started emailing, and um, yeah, just sort of slowly developed. I guess yeah, a bit of a an email friendship, and have exchanged photos and exchanged our names, and it's it's really helped to um, get some of those missing puzzles of the the jigsaw in terms of his development, because um, it, it turns out the donor was also reluctant to talk and walk. Right. Okay. <laughs> parents so um yeah it's been really nice from that point of view um and yeah just a a good
0: positive experience for us and have you met in real life or you have just kept to the the email relationship
1: no at the moment it's um it's just sort of an email every month or so Mm -hmm. um yeah I think that'll probably be on the cards for further down the track Um, but at the moment I think you know we're probably just happy with you know exchanging news via email well, I mean that's that's
0: something that everybody listening to this podcast, I guess, will be going through at some point. So really interesting that you've done that so early, and you were having a really positive experience with it. Is really encouraging for other people.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think I've been really lucky, and and I think to the fact that you know it was facilitated by the counsellor, it it meant that you know if there were sort of any any pitfalls, and I had that that backup support. Um, because they, they do, you know, obviously um, want you to know that it could go either way, mm-hmm. um, you know, but for me it's it's been a really positive experience and you know, we update each other on holidays and um, exchanged holiday snaps. So, um, yeah, it's just also nice to see um, the likeness as well. I mean, everyone says that my son looks just like me. Uh, it probably helps we've both got red hair. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, so I've been uh, quite
0: fortunate on that front, I think. Do you know if there are any other children that he has um, helped
1: create? Um, no, I'm not, not too sure. I haven't um, haven't looked into it yet because um, there's, there's nobody on the, the voluntary um, or central register. So, yeah. And have you been having
0: conversations with your son about the fact that he has a donor and how are you referring to him if you are...?
1: Um, he hasn't directly I mean I've you know always planned to be open with him and I've I've got a lot of the books that um, that you know we discuss in the Facebook group um, and I've talked about it with him but he's never asked me directly I think because he's so young he still thinks that all men are daddies and all right. mummies so <laughs> um, I mean I was you know even talking about it I think, last night, um, but I don't think he really sort of understands the concept yet and yeah. he hasn't sort of gone to that stage. Like he's never said, you know, where's my daddy? <laughs> um, but I plan to be, you know, very open and honest with him um, and I'll be able to tell him, you know, all the wonderful traits um, that, that his um, donor has. So, yeah. It's, well, it's, it's quite nice that you'll be able to say it without making it up. kind of. Yeah. That's right, yeah. I just know what the piece of paper
0: said at this point, but
1: nothing more. Actually, the the interesting thing was I showed him um, a photo of the donor when the donor was a toddler and I said, who's this? And my son looked at it and he said his own name. So Interesting. (laughs) Recognised himself in in the photo. Yeah. Mm. Mm, Very interesting.
0: And so if you... If you were listening to this podcast and were kind of sitting on the fence about whether or not to progress down this route, what would you, advice would you give to that person?
1: Um, oh, I think I think like everyone says, go for it. Um, but I mean, I you know it definitely hasn't been an easy journey, and it's you know still a challenging journey. Um, but I think that taking this decision, you're coming at it from a position of strength. Mm-hmm. If, you're making this decision, you know, you're wanting this child 110% um, and I think that's a lovely thing for our children to know um, and to be doing it on your own terms um, I think is a really positive thing as well. So yeah, I, I, would, I would encourage, you know, anyone thinking about it, you know, obviously if, if you want children and, and this is your, um, you know, immediate option, to, yeah
0: go for it <laughs> brilliant and so you've got another one in the freezer do you think that you would look to use that in the future or are you happy with just the one
1: I think I mean look it's it's um it's a hard decision because you know I think I'm, I'm lucky to have an older brother um but I think for me I know my limitations and um You know, I think because we had a few unexpected things, you know, with our journey and our developmental journey, I think I just want to put all my focus on my son. Um, I think I'll probably be a better mum, really just um, focusing on the two of us and um, just making, you know, our family, you know, as as solid and as happy as it can be. Um, And yeah, and I hope that he understands that when he's older. you know, he's going to have friends and second cousins, hopefully, although they're interstate at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think I think for me, that's that's probably going to be the right decision. And uh, yeah, body can go through it again.
0: <laughs> no, your sounds a little bit traumatic. I don't know, <laughs> especially if it, and the second one came as fast.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. That's wonderful. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we end?
1: No, I don't think so. I think, um, yeah, just like I said, it's um, making this decision. It's, it's a positive one. It's, you know, totally a position of strength. And I think we're pretty lucky to live in an age where we have these options available. Um, we have so many supports. We have an amazing online community. Um, and, yeah podcasts such as this
0: <laughs> okay, and now we have a podcast <laughs> yeah well thank you so much for sharing your story it's been really fascinating especially talking about how you've been in contact with the donor so early I'm sure a lot of people find that really interesting and might get the the wheels turning in their heads as well certainly in mine, <laughs> trying to work out when the right time will be so thank you so much for sharing your story tonight Camilla
1: oh, you're welcome thanks Alicia
0: I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.